Well, my friends, today, on this second Sunday of Advent, we are confronted with the figure of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist really is kind of the mascot of Advent. He is the one who uh, is, his very presence and his preaching is meant to signify the coming of the Lord, uh, the, which is where we get the word Advent, his coming. And so we get uh, John's preaching a little bit today. And um, John was a wild man, right? I think we really got to get that out there. Like, John was a real wild man, uh, dressed in camel's hair, leather belt around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy, he was pretty intense. If you saw him, uh, you may cross on the other side of the road or something, right? He was an intense guy. Um, and he preaches what? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John preaches, and this is actually how our Lord begins his preaching. Repent. It means change. It means turn around. Metanoite in Greek. Turn around. You're going the wrong direction. Turn around. Uh, repent. And, you know, that is, um, that's something, look, if you're going the wrong direction, if I'm going the wrong direction, don't tell me to turn around. Like, I'll find my way. I'll get there eventually, right? Um, that no one likes being told, you go in the wrong direction, turn around. And that call to repentance, a lot of times, is something that we don't want to hear, right? We don't want to hear that we're going the wrong way. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn around. Look, the kingdom of God. It's ahead, it's over there, and you're driving that way. Turn the car around. Sin is us going away from God. When we sin, we're moving away from God. And it's the role of a good friend, a good role model, a good preacher, to say, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around. That's where happiness lies. You know, I just, I even had this week. Someone made a comment to me. They probably don't even know that they did it. Um, that kind of got me thinking like, yeah, maybe in this regard, I'm going in the wrong direction. Turn around. Let's go. Let's just not be stubborn about those times when we're going in the wrong direction. Let's turn it around. Happiness lies in the other direction. Repent. Now, who in the gospel is the group that has the hardest time with this? It's the Pharisees. Now, let's the Pharisees get a bad rap. And maybe rightly so. But look, they were very devout. They were the church people of the time, right? They were trying to observe the law. But the problem is they forgot the love that lies at the heart of the law. And so their observance of the law just became about the stuff that they do. And they were convicted. We hear it again and again. They were convinced of their own righteousness. I don't need to turn. I'm perfect. I don't need to turn around. And so John here uh, calls out the Pharisees, who are convinced of their own self-perfection. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And John here then also preempts something our Lord um, does, where he says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's what they would want. Look, we have, we're Jewish by birth. Right? We were, we were born Jewish. We have Abraham as our father. That's enough. Right? We have Abraham as our father. That's good enough. And that hardness of heart stops them from hearing the message of John and the message of our Lord. 
that hardness of heart. Let me tell you, we have a very similar um, saying today as what would have been the Pharisees saying, we have Abraham as our father. It's something that's just as common today as the excuse for why we don't repent, why we don't change, why we don't examine ourselves. And that is, I was raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic. You know, don't, don't tell me. Look, I was raised Catholic. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. It has nothing to do with my actions. It is simply a historical fact. Just like I am a child of Abraham. I have Abraham as my father. I was born Jewish. I was raised Catholic. That means nothing about how I act now. But that is so many people say that. Or here's the other one. Um, I went to Catholic school, right? I, hey, Father, I went to Catholic school. Let me tell you how to run the church, right? Like, let me go. If I get my hands on Pope Francis, I'm going to start with Pope Francis. I went to Catholic school. Let me tell you how to run the church, right? But these two things, I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic school, can become the same type of obstacles as the Pharisees saying, we have Abraham as our father. It's a historical fact that people oftentimes want to use as a crutch or an excuse. Now, it's not always bad. I want to tell you a story about um, a number of years ago, I was called to the hospital to visit someone who had just received a very bad diagnosis and uh, this person wanted to make their confession. And so I, I went, and after the person confessed their sins, uh, and it had been like 40 years since they had been to confession, uh, I said, okay, now, you know, can you say the act of contrition? Uh, if you can't remember, it's been 40 years. If you can't remember, um, you know, you can repeat after me. And this person said, Father, I went to Catholic school. I know the act of contrition, right? Praise God for that. I was thinking of the school at the parish where I was serving at the time. I said, our kids couldn't say that. They don't know the act of contrition even now. How are they going to know it in 40 years when they need it? So um, we started teaching the kids every day the act of contrition. So it's not all bad, but the problem is when it just becomes the crutch of I was raised Catholic or I went to Catholic school. It doesn't impact me now, but it's a historical fact. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not living faith. It's history. But it has nothing to do with what I do now. It doesn't inform my actions. That type of just resting upon cultural Catholicism, that the culture of Catholicism will get me through, doesn't work. It can't happen. John says, as he continues, even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Now that's an image, we may not have thought about that because we're not really a lumberjacking culture, but I don't know if you've ever chopped down a tree or seen anyone chop down a tree, but they don't chop down the roots, right? That's not a thing. Like the root is deep in the ground. In fact, even when we had a few trees, uh, dead trees removed, um, we had to pay to have the stumps ground. Um, so the grinding of the stump where you don't even get rid of the roots, you just take the stump down below the ground level so you can plant stuff over it, right? No one cuts down the root of a tree. Uh, it's all the way buried in the ground. But John says, even now, the axe lies at the root of the tree. That this resting upon just cultural identity for religion. And now in our own time, the axe lies at the root of that tree. It just doesn't work. And maybe the church, particularly in the United States, 
has tried too much just to rest on bygone er- the faith of bygone eras as if that means anything for me today, right? Uh, that we had, look, we had an awesome school here at St. Francis. We have a great school building, um, but today that's not a functioning school. So to just say St. Francis Parish has a great big school building, what does that mean, right? It's the faith that we're, we are teaching here and now. It's not about a bygone era. It's not that I went to Catholic school. What am I doing today? Or even another example of the ax being laid to the root. The reality is the cultural Catholicism, because of any number of things, you know, people, um, unfortunately, people of my generation, my friends, that I went to Catholic school with, when they say, I went to Catholic school, they're not bragging. Uh, that is the reason why they don't practice the faith today, either from getting weak or no catechesis or from the culture in the school, which was not at all uh, something that would imitate our Lord or just it being nothing but fluff or whatever it is or just any other bad experience. They say, I went to Catholic school, so I don't go to church anymore. That's, that's what turned me away. The axe is being laid to the root of the tree. It just doesn't work. It's just not something that we can use as our excuse that somehow this historical identity with the faith. Um, A very personal example is that in my home city of Waterbury, they are the church, St. Anne's Church, um, I'm sure you've seen it in the news, started falling down last Christmas. The stones started falling. And the cost to fix those stones is astronomical, right? To, to fix it. So what did they do that to take down the steeples, right? In order, and the church now, um, it's All Saints Parish, Todos Los Santos, and it is a lot of times full, but financially, they can't afford to keep this gigantic church with these big steeples um, anymore. It's something that has been historically given but it, it can't be afforded anymore. And there's in my home city of Waterbury, there's a beautiful church in every neighborhood. Gigantic, beautiful churches in every neighborhood, but we can't afford them because the cultural Catholicism, the ax has been laid to the root of that. And these churches, a lot of times, are big and beautiful and empty. Our church is, is big. Um, and I mean, at what point would this church have been full at a 10 o'clock mass on a Sunday? Right? How long ago would it have been? I have the numbers that in the 1990s, there were over 900 people coming to Mass here every weekend at St. Francis. In the 1990s, 900 people come to Mass here. I get all excited if we have 300 people. Like, that is for us. And we're growing, right? We're growing a little bit at a time. But if we have 300 people, I'm dancing for joy. But in the 90s, there were 900 people. Um, when was this church full? But now, unfortunately, if some of that was just the cultural Catholicism, the axe is being laid to the root. And we see with the church, we just can't afford it anymore. We can't afford all the buildings we have. We can't afford um, all the mass times that we have. We can't afford all that. That trying to prop up the culture doesn't work. Okay, that's John's bad news. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Catholic preaching of past generations would have stopped right there. Good homily, Father, sit on down. But John doesn't stop there, uh, and so neither should we. Because John says, after these, you know, harsh statements, he says, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. 
But the one who's coming after me is mightier than I. We got a bigger message, a more important message. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wow. This is it. This is the hope of the church. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Even when it seems like the axe is being laid to the root, the Holy Spirit is alive and is a fire in the church. And there is new life. And there is the possibility for great holiness. We had in that first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Now again, I just, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Any stumps that we have out on our property, I don't expect them to be sprouting shoots, right? They're stumps, they're done, whatever. But no, on that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Even what seems old and lifeless and dying, God brings new life. A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. That the Holy Spirit enlivens the church. The Holy Spirit gives life and zeal. The Holy Spirit brings new life to the church in every generation. The Holy Spirit is active. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have here, wisdom and knowledge and understanding, counsel, fortitude, piety, and fear of the Lord, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are what has been moving the church throughout her entire existence, and they're just as present today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are described just theologically. The gifts are like a sail on a boat. Right? This is what the gifts are. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to make us docile to where the Spirit is moving. So that's what a sail does. Right? A sail is meant to make the boat movable by the wind. The Holy Spirit is the wind, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit for us are the sails that allow the Spirit to push us, to move us in the right direction, to lead us forward. Not by our own power, and not by some historical fact, but by the life of God himself. By the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. So we need this outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church in the 21st century needs a greater understanding and appreciation for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That we may always be open and docile to the movements of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives new life to the church again and again and again. The Holy Spirit is described um, theologically as the soul of the church, right? The Holy Spirit is the soul. The soul is the principle of life. If the church is alive, it's through the life of the Spirit. And so we need these gifts of the Spirit active in our own lives, in our parish, in our local church, and in the universal church. We need that openness. God wants to move us. God can do great things. Just the message of, um, the depressing message of the fact that the cultural stuff doesn't work anymore. Okay, fine, but God can bring new life. This sprout 
from the stump of Jesse. A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. New life being brought to the church. If we're open to the Spirit, each and every one of us need to be open to the Spirit that makes us saints. Real canonizable saints. Saints are the ones who bring life through the Spirit to the church. And each and every one of us have that call. Each and every one of us need to be real, canonizable saints. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. This is what can bring new life to our church. The preaching of John the Baptist is uh, the hallmark of Advent. And so today we need to take that call to repentance. We need to recognize if we in our own lives um, have rested upon the crutches of historical facts alone. And we need to allow today, now, the Spirit to enliven us so that we can imitate and follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that we can prepare to celebrate his coming at Christmas, and so that through our life of holiness, new life may always be brought to the church of God.